Welcome once again to Shattered Lives, I'm Kieran Bradley. As the Cherry Hutch murder trial finished its final day of evidence on Thursday, we wanted, where we can, to help with any of your outstanding questions on the case. Part 1 of this question and answer episode is in the Shattered Lives podcast feed, and today's episode will make all the more sense if you listen to that first. On the last episode, we were left pondering a suggestion by a listener that there may have been a concerted effort by the Hutch organised crime gang to make it appear like the IRA carried out the Regency attack. We pick up from where we left off with Paul Healy and Michael O'Toole of the Irish Daily Star. Given that we are sort of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this, I think we might pull us back on track because there's actually a related question that came in here via DM. Was there any ballistics evidence on the Oaks? Uh, We've heard that the AKs or similar were used in the Regency and that Shane Rowan was caught with them. Was there ballistic evidence to 100% confirm that they were the same guns? They were. They were confirmed by the ballistics section of the Technical Bureau and Guarda headquarters. So uh, I I think it's a detective sergeant in the Technical Bureau ballistics section gave evidence that the... the, the, See, obviously there were rounds fired in the Regency and they recovered those uh, rounds and the, the cartridges so that you were able to use a thing called rifling because every rifle barrel leaves a different, unique, it's like fingerprints. So they were able to compare them. So they had the, 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 the sort of area to compare the, the bullets there from the Regency and they test-fired the bullets from the class. That's what they do. They test-fire them and, and it leaves striations, I think it's called, and rifling and all that sort of stuff. So they really confer them via magnifying glasses or you know tele- eye scopes and all that sort of stuff. So yes, they give evidence that they're... And that, I think that was uncontested because I remember it was the same evidence in the Patrick Hutch trial because I was there for that. And uh, the detective sergeant gave the same evidence. So that's what they do. They they compare the... The, the bullets from the magazines in the Kalashnikovs that were seized to the rounds and cartridges that were found in the Regency. Okay. Um, just on a, on a related one here then, uh, in their closing, the prosecution said that they think Hutch is one of the men who shot David Byrne. Did the post-mortem and or subsequent investigation find bullets from different guns? It, well, the, the investigation did find bullets from different guns from the three Kalashnikovs because I think all three were fired. If, if I'm, I, just from memory from the Patrick Hodge thing uh, and I know Paul you might talk about who gave the post-mortem and it was Michael Curtis in the case of Patrick Hodge was it Michael Curtis who gave the post, did the post-mortem or who gave evidence retired state pathologist can you remember I can't remember I, need to, I think it was Okay, well, well, I think it was it, it, Michael Curtis. He was the state pathologist, and he's retired now. And I remember him, Patrick Hutch. So look, he did the post mortem on David Byrne. So I, pre- I, I would be, yes, you know, yeah, I no, guess right. it was yeah. the same yeah. man. It, it was, yeah, it was. So, but it's not his job to forensically analyze the bullets. He talks about the injury and that sort of stuff and how the trauma. So that would be the the. So that would be part of the the ballistic section to do that, and they give their general evidence that the bullets matched. From the, yeah. the weapons. Well, we did we did hear evidence from from Gardy who, who examined the scene, forensic evidence in relation to bullet casings that were found uh, in and around the scene in the Regency, and also in the van, uh, the burnt out van, uh, as well in the Charlemagne estate, uh, that were all connected to uh, the the Kalashnikov rifles. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, just come to a couple here. Uh, Derek uh, on Twitter says, "Why was Patrick Dowdle charged with murder initially? Surely any involvement he had would have been facilitating the murder, or maybe I'm completely missing something." Does anyone have an opinion on that, Nick? I do. It's a thing. It's a thing called joint enterprise or common cause. So, say if the four of us decide to murder uh, somebody, 
right? And Healy, well, Healy would miss, and I pull the trigger, <laughs> right? It's the four. I'm the killer, but the four, the the four of us, the three of us, sorry, the three of us are involved in the joint enterprise. So there have been several cases where people, several people have been charged with murder, even the one person carried out the physical murder. So Paul Healy's the Fredo Corleone, like stumbling over his gun. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Are you going to take that, Haley? This is unbelievable. Anyway, um, well, that's very interesting. Um, the next one we have here is from Harry, uh, and this is Harry's own opinion, so uh, these are not my words. With the lack of concrete evidence that Hutch was one of the actual hitmen, uh, would there not have been a much stronger case to say that he organized or facilitated the murder since he had the guns and admits that his family did it? Yeah, well, well, uh, we'd got to be careful how we answer that, but... but uh... Uh, that's obviously his opinion, but um, Brendan Grattan, in his closing submission uh, for Mister Hutch, uh, initially I thought this was surprising, but it's it's a very powerful defence uh, in that he said uh, that Mister Hutch is charged with murder, uh, and it, while he makes no concessions, uh, the court may find that there is evidence on the tapes uh, in relation to firearms. But he's not charged with any firearms offences, and so newsflash, newsflash, yeah. Um, there, there, there could be an argument that there is stuff said on the tapes there in relation to ownership of the AK forty sevens and the movement of the AK forty sevens, um, um, and 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 then as a result of that, um, inferences are drawn that perhaps there could be charges in that. But in this case. All we can say is that Mr. Hutch is charged with murder. That is what the European arrest warrant was issued for. I don't have a better answer than that. Go on, sorry. Well, and, and, and it's also important to remember that Mr. Hutch was charged with the murder. The decision to charge him was in March 2020. Okay. Jonathan Dowdell only started giving, you know, made a statement in 2020, 2021. Yeah, 2021, sorry. So it was a year later, wasn't it, before Mr. Hutch or Mr. Dowdle made his statement when he said Jerry Hutch told him he was one of the two people who shot David Byrne. So the decision had already been made to charge him on the basis of the existing evidence, principally the tapes. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm only asking the question, but it, um, does the severity of a charge as a result of this person's question, I'm, I'm, this is my question, does the resu- does the severity of a charge have any implications in terms of a, a European arrest warrant um, being more powerful, getting a person home? Like, would it be would it be more difficult to, to no. charge someone out of the state with facilitating or with firearms offences rather than a murder charge? Like, is he, is it, are there more hurdles to jump? No, there aren't. Okay. No. No, but, there, well, actually, there is a, a hurdle with what we used to call extradition, and we now call the European arrest warrant. There's two things. There has to be, so say if you're in Spain, the, the offence for which you are charged in Ireland has to exist in Spain, okay? So if he was in Spain, maybe there wasn't. Uh, consp- well, there, I'm sure there probably is in the because the Spanish penal code is humongous, right? So there has to be, there has, there has to be parallel. So if it's murder in Ireland, there has to be the offence of murder in Spain or the equivalent, okay? And the other thing is, it has to be an arrest, but it has to be an offence that carries more than a year in prison, for you to be, so if it's district court, you, you can't. It's it, that's not happening. So it has to be senior offences, indictable offences. So they're the two. They're the only two things. Because look, you know, uh, people have been extradited back here for conspiracy. People have been extradited back here for assault, causing harm. You know, you know what I mean. So it's it goes in and it's 
and affect this paperwork. There's a Garda extradition unit, and every European country has their own extradition units, and it's mutual assistance. So the guards send out a request via Europe, Europol or whatever, and, that, and that's it. So the, the guards, the, the police in Spain or Italy or Corfu or whatever, won't go out on it. It goes to the courts. So they have to enact what the order is. Yeah, so sorry to this person's question we're probably dancing around the answer as well we can only again talk about the charge before the court we can't talk about the strength of a case against Mr Hutch for any other charge um, we just can't so what does the DPP do the DPP examines the Garda file right and says and you know let's you know I, I covered a case a wee while ago about someone who uh, not in relation to this case, in relation to something else, who was was to be charged, was under investigation for, for a rape. And the guards were fully expecting that person to be charged with rape. But the DPP ruled that there was insufficient evidence. And now that case, it would have been a, a jury. So they always say, what is the likelihood of a jury sustaining a, a guilty verdict in this? So if they say, look, there's a good chance. If they say it's a very weak case or we don't think that it would get to that hurdle, then it doesn't go. So the DPP decides in every case, is there, a likely, is there a possible likelihood of a conviction? And that's what they do. And so they look at it and look, the judges, DPP, is, his office is full of legal experts and they go, well, you know, yes or no, effectively. And they sometimes, and I do know that they often seek out independent, you know, external advice from senior counsels. Yeah, okay. Um Another one here uh, via DM. If any of the witnesses are proven to have lied, can they be charged with perjury? And how likely is that to happen? I guess this is a reasonably quick hit. Yes, they can. Well, I I mean, yeah, that is an offence. And uh, it's been said that Jonathan Dowdall perjured himself on the stand in this trial. And he also admitted to lying in his special criminal court case for the waterboarding incident Alex Hurley. Um. But that doesn't mean he's going to be charged. It just, it, but it, but but separate to that, yeah, you could be charged. It is a criminal offence. But there is a very high bar because you can, you can be mistaken in giving your evidence. Everybody makes mistakes, and you know, it's it's a very stressful time being in a witness box. And mistakes can happen. So there, it's all about you know, did you do it on purpose or was it an accident? So it's a very high bar. I'd say that I'm not express. I'm not calling Jonathan Dowd on a perjurer. I'm I use, using the words of of Brendan Gretton, who called him a perjurer, and his own words in that he said that he lied in court. Uh, but as Mick says, there's a high bar. That doesn't necessarily mean Jonathan Dowd is going to be charged with anything in relation to that. But uh, no, yeah. Okay, where does Jerry Hutch claim that he was on the day of the Regency, Mick? Right. Who cares? He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't yeah. have to claim anything. It's not his baby. He is charged. He is not prosecuting. He has to prove nothing. He could be walking up outside the Regency with a banner going, I hate Daniel Kinn for all we care. That's not, his, that's not anybody's problem. It's for the prosecution to prove it. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hutch has to say nothing. There is no compunction in him in dissenting, and that's what they decided. So it's irrelevant. It could be anywhere. Yeah. The uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, how many trips did Jonathan Dowdle make up north? Uh, on what dates were each of the trips, and with who and what was the suspected reason for each trip up north? This might be a little bit too specific, uh, given that we're not, you know, Paul, you haven't been reporting on these exact details today, etc. I, 
No, look, I can answer it, but I, I look, just be honest, right? I, we're, we're being quite off the cuff. We're trying to answer these as honestly and openly as we can. I don't have the dates in front of me, is the truth, right? But I can I can recall that, that he travelled up north in January. Uh, he travelled up north then again, I think, so I think twice in January, and I think um, on the 4th of February, uh, he went up with his father, Prior to that, we we only know of evidence of him going up on his own. There there was evidence presented that uh, it was possible his father could have gone with him in one of the January trips. But um, basically, we know he went up north on, on his own. He went up with his father on the fourth, and they came back. They did the the booking of the regency. Uh, he went up north on the seventh of March. I remember that date because that's the uh, the recording. That's when the recording, um, the the ten hour secret recording happened. Um, that's when himself and Jerry Hutch went up north on the seventh. And again, oh sorry, also on February twentieth they went up north to Shane Rowland's house. Uh, what was the end of that question? What was the suspected reason for each trip up north? I guess again. We don't know the reasons for the January trips, uh, but he was obviously under surveillance at the time, so he was of interest to the Gardaí uh, because they have uh, intelligence about him being up north in January. Uh, on the 4th of February, his word was that he was going up to try and meet Kevin Tyrone, and Kevin Tyrone didn't show up, and that was uh, on Patsy Hutch's request to um, try and speak to people up north to bring about a, a peace uh, to, to stop the, the, the feud from uh, from progressing further, although now he felt he was being used as a ghillie uh, because the day after the Regency attack happened. And the 7th, we know, uh, sorry, the 20th of February, uh, himself and Hutch went up uh, to Shane Rowan's house again, supposedly um, to meet with people in to to get some sort of a peace deal though in the tapes uh they were, they were talking about um possibly having uh certain people in uh, who were involved in the murder of eddie hutch would have to go uh on the on the 7th of march a, a similar uh, uh type of trip again trying to meet people mr hutch is supposed to have had a conversation with people in a room uh, and the allegation by the state is uh, that on these tapes on the journey, um, he's asked by Jonathan Dowdell, did you tell them that it was used at the Regency? Uh, and he's referring to one of the persons that he met up there and he said, yeah, ah, he knows, yeah, that's supposed to be the confession. Um, that, that, that's basically a brief summary of what those trips were about. Uh, why did Gardy not intercept the Shane Rowan and Patsy Hutch meeting in Malahide at the time? They were under surveillance, but Rowan was caught with the uh, AK-47 type guns on his own half an hour later in Meath. If they had acted earlier, it would have directly connected to Hutch gang. You know, I entered the world of intelligence. And and that's really it. And I know we keep on saying that we don't know. There's so many things we don't know, right? Uh the guards act, I can only, from an outside perspective, they acted at the best time that they thought was, you know, to intercept this. So how will we ever know? I mean, how will we know what intelligence they had? How will, how will we know if there were other listening? Which, not a clue. But, but I will say one thing. Sorry, I was thinking about this. Look, he was intercepted, come back up north. So... Maybe they didn't. They weren't sure that they had. They had them. We don't know if he had them then. But they would probably have a much better degree of confidence when he was heading back up north that he had the firearms with him. So that might be the best, you know, decision. Well, 
we know uh, from the evidence of Sarah Sked that uh, just before Rome went off in the car that there had been an observation uh, that something had been put into the boot of the car by somebody else while uh, Shane Rowan was in the company of Patsy Hutch and those turned out to be the weapons so um, if you remember Mick the attempt on Patsy Hutch I mean, the guards waited to the 11th hour to, to before they intercepted the gang because effectively you have to catch the person in the act to be confident that you're going to be able to get uh, a charge. And and so that maybe explains why they waited as long as they did. And and, and that's a really important point. Yes, you're talking about the uh, the, the Brown and the, the, the other fellas from Thingless who were done. It was about 300 yards. And, I, you know, there is one reason why they do this because, look... There have been plenty of cases where guards have stopped cars and the gun has not been in the car, it's been in another car. And so you send a file to the DPP and the DPP says, well, I'm sorry, it doesn't meet the threshold for a charge. So it's like it's almost like a, a Venn diagram. You have to get in the wee sweet spot in the middle. So, and that's what they do. Very good. Um, I wanted to leave this one to last because it's been on my mind for a while that between the technical evidence and the sort of, somewhat melodrama of Jerry Hutch versus Jonathan Dowdle and Brendan Grattan, all this stuff. We've somewhat uh, forgotten a little bit the fact that David Byrne lost his life this day. And, you know, it's this is obviously the reason we're all here. I, I, I don't mean that we've forgotten it per se, but just it becomes a little bit secondary in some senses. Um, the last one that we have here was, what has been the courtroom reaction of the Byrne family to the witness evidence uh, over the course of the trial? Um yeah, I, Paul, I, I, I realise that obviously your attention is elsewhere for a lot of this, but I wonder if you might be able to enlighten us a little. Um, well, my sympathy does go uh, to, to the Byrne family. They, they lost a loved one, and uh, clearly this is a very important case to them, uh, and that is evident by the fact that they have been in the courtroom every single day. Uh, a member of the family, at least one member of the family, has been in the courtroom every day. But the majority of them, um, Sadie Byrne, the mother of David Byrne, has been in the court uh, almost every day, along with uh, her husband, James, um, and some of their uh, um, children. So uh, Melanie uh, Byrne has been there, uh, as has Joanne. Um, whatever people's feelings might be in relation to David Byrne and his connections to the Kinahan cartel and criminality, he's still a human being who lost his life. He didn't deserve to lose his life. No one deserves to be murdered. Um, and I would say that. Uh, in terms of their reaction to things that were said in court, as I said, my, my attention was obviously elsewhere in terms of what was being said in court. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that it is difficult for them to hear in graphic detail how uh, David Byrne was uh, callously murdered. Um, and, and there were, every now and then, the odd reaction. You could hear the odd comment, the odd whisper. Um that that's beyond that i can't really say uh, the Byrne family have spoken in the past i have spoken to um many of them uh, in when the patsy or when the patrick hutch trial collapsed um they did a protest outside the doll and uh, i did interview the family at that point in time and feelings were very raw uh, and angry at that point they were extremely annoyed that they didn't get in their eyes justice so, you know, this is something that's hugely close to their heart, obviously, and they, uh, they, they want to, uh, they want to be there every day. So it's obviously hugely, hugely important to them. Uh, as I said, they lost a loved one. I, I can't really um, speak beyond that. I suppose it's up to the Byrne family to, uh, 
if they want to at the end of this come out and speak um about their thoughts about this trial they will um but uh, yeah that that's my observation of it anyway and I, I will say one thing that was always at the I didn't really know Colin Fox he he uh but I knew Micello too right and he, and he wasn't interested in talking to journalists which is fine and I respected that and I, I sort of quite liked that that he was honest about it no, right um but I do know one thing that he had for he was always I'm not going to say obsessed but the victims including David Byrne all victims of crime were always really, really important to him. And he, he took, he was really invested in getting uh, justice for victims. It meant an awful lot to him. Well, that's as good a place as any to leave it, I suppose. Um, on behalf of all of us, and I'm sure the lads will say it themselves, thank you ever so much for your questions. They are uh, extremely well thought out and very interesting, and they've prompted questions even in our head. So I would say you can keep uh, firing them into us as well, because uh, we're going to be lacking in content in the next couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, we want to say thank you very much to all of you. And uh, I personally would like to say thank you to Mick and Paul for your uh, continued endeavors and your uh, expertise and as a relative layman myself uh, to this trial I've learned a great deal so thank you very much indeed oh, and thank you to you Kieran. you've been great you've been editing these perfectly and, and as quickly as possible you, you banging them out sometimes in record time but also you've been a great host and uh, I think you're a natural speaker as well yourself and uh, and you, you have knowledgeable questions to ask uh, interesting questions to ask you've often stumped me with a few of them <laughs> but uh, no and you, you, thanks for your patience in, in, in dealing with uh, with us I know we can be difficult look at this oh shucks are you, are you, are you saying we're divas <laughs> well, I didn't one say of, I didn't say one, nothing one of us one of us might be a diva yeah, and on that on that bombshell, we'll leave it there. Um, but listen, thank you very much, lads. And uh, yeah, keep questions coming in. We're we're going to be back to you very soon with uh, with some more episodes. So we'll speak to you soon. Take care.